0: And let me just uh, add my welcome, if we've not yet met, my name is Johnny, I'm part of the team here. And uh, a few weeks ago Anna Mason did a brilliant talk on uh, praying as a community in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you missed it, you weren't here, I really recommend you give it a listen, it's absolutely brilliant. And in some ways I want to just continue part of that conversation with something that uh, has been stirring in me uh, as I look around and kind of notice a poverty of sorts in this uh, cultural moment we're in. I say this cultural moment because that feels like the on-brand thing to say at the moment, but it's stirring in me and it's about friendship. And in particular, I want to take a really uh, practical look at what close friendships might look like in this age of um, loneliness and isolation, individualism that we see. And uh, just to kind of explain where we're going, I want to spend a bit of time um, framing that, explaining why I want to talk about it, what it is I'm going to be talking about, and then from there we'll jump in a bit more practically. And uh, in her talk, Anna showed us some of the stats. And I think um, if you're like me, sometimes we can be a bit numb to to kind of headlines like these. And, and, but there was one particular that really convicted me and grabbed me and shocked me afresh. And it was uh, that two and a half million men in the UK said that they have no close friends. And that was a study um, done by and for Movember, um, which is a great organization. And they link it to um, the fact that such... High um, suicide rates, and that suicide is actually the biggest killer of men in the UK under the age of 45. 75% of uh, suicides in the UK are men, and, and they link it to this thing. With two and a half million men in the UK said so they had no close friends. And as I look further into some of this stuff, through the internet, the messaging was very much the same. More than nine million people often or always feel lonely in the UK. I read two different studies that suggest that we here are among the most individualistic societies in the world. One that, quote, values the self over the group more than any other country. And we're seeing this played out. Obviously, um, through broken individuals in that way, but also in society, we're seeing things like um, libraries and pubs and shopping centres close down. We're, 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 you know, we're launching all of these kind of digital platforms that are meant to connect us. And in some ways, they really do. But in other ways, as we're knowing and it's kind of unravelling, that actually, it's increasing that sense of isolation, increasing that sense of loneliness and anxiety it's impacting our relationships. And although it's become the kind of surrounding norm and almost like you see these little um, headlines and things like that, I want to suggest that this age of hyper individualism is not what God intended for us to flourish, is not what God has for us. What a miserable opening uh, to a talk. (laughs) Um, But Here's the thing. I believe, and I think we see it through church history, that God's spirit meets the need of the age and the church is led to respond to that need. And I think one need that we have very clearly is a deep ache and longing for community, for belonging, for friendship and for meaningful relationships. And as uh, Mother Teresa said, the most terrible poverty is loneliness and the feeling of being unloved. And this is where I think friendship comes in. It almost feels like, and I was trying to prepare and stuff, it feels like quite a trivial um subject almost to preach on. I think friendship isn't something that we're necessarily taught about um, in school. I learned things like long division in school, which I still haven't used, I don't think. Um, I I learned how, did anyone else do this, where you swim to the bottom of a swimming pool in your pyjamas to get a rubber brick and then come, anyone show fans? Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. We learn things like that in school, but we don't learn about friendships necessarily. And I think it gets harder the older we get. I've got a little toddler um, called Josh. And if you want to be his friend, basically all you really need to do is enter into his little imaginary world, be one of the characters and he'll be your friend. He's got quite a low bar uh, for friendship at the moment. And then we kind of go to nursery and school and that can be really hard, but but we are also surrounded, we're kind of put with other people, we're surrounded by people. And I think the older we get, the harder it seems to build and maintain deep friendships. And off the bat, at the start of this talk, I actually just want to acknowledge that it is hard to build and maintain friends and as I was preparing for this and I found it in myself and I could could feel it and see it in myself it is hard and I want to acknowledge some of those reasons that I was thinking some things that were stirring in me before we really get into it because hopefully you might be able to relate to it as well and one is that in this kind of fast-paced transient city like London and in um, you know where we might move from one place we might study we might have a job we might get another job people might leave it's it's quite hard to make uh, friends that are long-term they can be often quite seasonal. I know for myself, I've lived in, I think, five different towns or cities in the last 10 years. And that's something that I found really hard, that kind of continuity to relationships. And I think sometimes we can have this kind of um, honeymoon stage with friendships, if you can relate, where we're actually quite excited about it when we meet someone, we're like, oh, yeah, we're into the same music or into the same sports, or they have the same trainers like me, and we're really gonna connect. And we do, but it's this kind of like honeymoon stage can often become this thing of like, what can I get from this friendship? What can I get out of this friendship? And then it's easy to just slip away and move on. It's easy just to go on to the next thing. You know, we live in a society where you can unfriend someone at the click of a button, literally. And I think this leads to spreading ourselves too thin, where we have a lot of acquaintances, but we don't have that many deep friends. I heard it said, if you want acquaintances, tell them your successes. If you want friends, tell them your fears. And perhaps more deeply, we all pick up experiences along the way, right? We're all humans dealing with other humans. We've all probably been hurt. We're all let down in different ways. I think sometimes we can allow that hurt or the shame or whatever's come in to dictate then the way we operate in friendships. It leads to a fear of rejection. What will happen if I put myself out there? It leads to maybe just avoiding commitment, like I've said. It leads also to uh, a frustration at imperfections. We almost have this unrealistic expectation of what friendship's really like, and so we can jump from good feeling to good feeling. I mean, even if it's subconsciously, this can lead to us thinking that it's not worth it, or even more so that we're not worth it. That we're not lovable or able to be seen or to be valued, which is of course a cycle because the more we get into that, the more we're going to step away. The less we're going to commit, the more we're going to be isolated. So I just wanted to acknowledge that at the start. That Actually, something quite a simple phrase like friendship can bring up all of these things. It brought them up in me and maybe it brought it up and it will bring it up in, in, in you as well. Let's contrast these two quotes from Jean Vanier. To be lonely is to feel unwanted and unloved and therefore unlovable. But to love someone is to show them their beauty, their worth, and their importance. So before we really get into it, let me just say that you are lovable. You are capable of deep friendships. You have beauty. You have importance. You are made, in fact, for deep and flourishing friendships. I want to just say that to each and every one of us, hear that tonight, because I'm so passionate about this. I really, really believe that healthy friendships are essential for human flourishing. They oppose loneliness and individualism and can be a signpost to the kingdom of God. And I think this is so important. Hopefully you get that evening. I really do think it's important because it seemed like Jesus did too. He said this, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He wants to communicate so much that he gives this new commandment uh, in the precious last moments that he has with the disciples. And in the New Testament, the New Testament is littered with this phrase, one another. You know, we see it, love one another, be devoted to one another, honour one another, serve one another, be kind to one another, forgive one another, pray for one another, bear one another's burdens. The list is endless. And I really think that a church full of healthy and life-giving friendships is one of the best ways that we can show the love of Christ to the world. We get to model something distinctive. and That's what I want to talk about tonight. And a quick disclaimer, obviously there's loads that could be said. There's so many traits to a healthy friendship. So many things that could be said. I don't have time to get into all of them. Vulnerability would be one huge one. Anna did a, a brilliant, um, powerful uh, message as part of that talk. Again, listen to that, particularly what she said about asking for help and things like that. Vulnerability is huge. The importance of knowing ourselves is huge. Again, I'll really just signpost the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality series we did a while back. Knowing ourselves, loving ourselves is huge in this arena, and also, as with any relationship, clear communication, clear expectations is so important. Um, I learned this afresh just a few weeks ago um, about the importance of communication. We just had a little um, little baby boy called Samuel a few weeks ago, thanks very much, and uh, we... um, I did that thing like a little while after the birth, I was ringing around some relatives and some friends and I rang my granny and she's in her 90s. She's an amazing uh, lady. And I said, oh, um, you know, we've had the baby. And I don't know, people are older than a certain age. They always seem to ask the weight before any other um, question, which I always find interesting, particularly as it's like done in pounds, which I didn't even really know what that means. So I told her the weight because that was the most important thing that she wanted to know. And then she asked the name and I said, oh, yeah, we called him Samuel. And it was like a little, she was kind of like, oh, okay, cool. Um, but she didn't say cool, because that's not how my granny talks. Um, she was like, okay. Um, and then the we, conversation went on, and then, we, and then we finished the conversation. And when I hung up, I was a bit like, oh, that was a bit strange. She didn't seem like that pumped about the, <laughs> the phone call. which so I just didn't think much of it. Anyway, I was talking to my mum a couple of days later. And my mum said, you know, um, your granny thought that you'd called your baby Basil. <laughs> <laughs> if you're um, called basil here tonight i actually think it's a great name I, i'm not saying anything but um yeah she, thought, uh, what, she then rang all of the cousins on that side and told them that we'd had this little boy called basil <laughs> and so we had to ring back and, and say about something I don't know, the importance of communication clear communication i'm still learning and please, please, please hear the heart behind this talk, this is not in any way about building little cliques it's not in any way saying that we can't be close mates with people outside of the church it's not at all that we would neglect hospitality, caring for others um, working to cut and uh, down dividing walls, again you would have heard and there's some brilliant talks that have been done at this church and all those things, please don't hear it like that, but the kind of friendship I'm talking about today is only really possible with a few people, perhaps a handful of people and to frame it a little bit more and if you've been around KXC for a while you might have seen us talk about this the sociologist Joseph Myers articulates the need for us all to find kind of deep belonging in in four different spheres and he Um, uses these, public, social, personal, and intimate. So public would be more like, yeah, kind of big gathering, maybe like a sports event or a concert or something like that. Uh, Over 20 people. Social would be more like a classroom or a group of friends where you know people's names and and they know little bits about themselves, um, little bits about our lives, but maybe not too much detail. And then the personal would be like the really uh, close friends where they really know how you're doing, really know what's going on in your life. They've got your back. These would be friendships that you've probably made from the social space. And then there 's the intimate, which would be like a like an absolute best friend or a spouse if you 're married or in a you know, obviously in our faith context uh, relationship with god and uh, we kind of say that we see this in the life of Jesus as well um, with the next slide and uh So he kind of had the the crowd or the 72 and different ways he operated and he had the disciples in that social arena. And then he had kind of the three, Peter, James and John, which he seemed to have like a really close relationship with giving kind of all access to his ministry. And then obviously intimacy with, with the father. And we try and look at ways we could do that as a church as well. We have the kind of Sunday gatherings, we have the hubs, we have Patton, and we have our kind of own personal devotional lives. And what I'm really talking about is the personal space um, are we here with the next slide. Just that's what I want to zone in on today as kind of our friendship. So I want to suggest that there's just a handful of people that we really go deep with. Um, and as, as, as I've kind of alluded to, I think we're quite good to today to... Um, At, like, being in that crowd environment, making acquaintances, like I've said, maybe keeping things at arm's length, make where it seems like everyone's happy, everyone can kind of put up masks to a certain extent. But, um, I really want to talk about the personal space today and what that looks like in our friendships. And to get practical, I want to look at three distinctive features of deep friendships, looking at examples uh, from the Bible, and these are the three things sacrifice commitment, and purpose. They're probably the least appealing or sexy things I could think of, but I really think these are key um, to building and maintaining deep friendship, sacrifice, commitment, and purpose. So firstly, sacrifice. I want to start by looking at the story of of David and Jonathan. I think David is like one it seems to be like he's one of the heroes of the Bible, really well known. But I actually really, really rate Jonathan. Obviously, my name is Johnny. Jonathan, that's my name. My brother's called David, so maybe I've always thought David gets a little bit too much attention um, in the Bible. But I really love Jonathan and and he he's just to set the scene, technically in line um, for the throne, his father's Saul, and we see that he lays this down. Uh, And we get this beautiful description of the friendship between David and Jonathan in 1 Samuel 18. It says this, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing, gave it to David. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. If we just look at this, first it says he gives him his robe. Now we might not think, we might not get the importance of this, we all... You know, we have Depop and eBay and charity shops. We wear other people's clothes, um, you know, and, and all those kind of things. But in this context, to receive any part of dress which had been worn by a king or its heir was deemed the highest honor. Basically, it's a statement of like honor, distinction, dignity. Just to, um, there's a, a passage Um, in Esther, which kind of highlights this, which is clear, let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on a horse through the city gates, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. So this whole thing of like giving royal robes is actually a huge statement. And Jonathan is helping to set him up to succeed really, because David probably would have just had quite a plain tunic or whatever it was they wore. He wouldn't have been able to go to the king's courts to have this first meeting. So to give him his robe was actually to set him up to succeed, to cheer him on, to make sure he was off to the best start. And we read then very clearly that David does, uh, David does succeed. And um, it's a huge sacrifice from Jonathan. One, because he is the heir to the throne and he's laying that down. But two, because he wants to cheer David on all the way. And that's, that phrase, he loved him as himself. Isn't that just totally beautiful? He loved him as himself. This is so key in our friendships, particularly to counter individualism. that that we aim for and we celebrate the success of others. I think in some ways we're kind of taught at some level, I don't know when it happens, but that we're rivals in some ways, like with colleagues or with students. Like, what did you get? Or you know, these ways we can almost see as other people as, as, as rivals. Even in the this is like so embarrassing to admit, but the, I'm training for ordination to kind of in the church ministry, very small circles, and it's like sometimes that can even creep in at college, of like, oh, they're getting to do that, or they're getting to you know, plant that church. And it's like when we see people as threats, that's like so unhealthy. But to be the Kind of friends who defend behind people's back and speak truth to their face is huge to celebrate and to set people up for success and that's what Jonathan does. It really reminds me of Romans twelve, ten, and, and Eugene Peterson puts it like this in the message Be good friends who deep love who love deeply, practice playing second fiddle. I love the way that he puts it. 'Cause as I say, the surrounding culture I think programs us to self centeredness to make sure, you know, my dreams, my destiny, my possessions, my things. But that's actually not what it's about. And I was thinking as I was preparing, even like the topic of friendship, we've kind of made this thing about us. When I was reading like different articles and things like that, it was almost like friendship is one more thing that you put, one more piece to like the well-being puzzle. It's like we can use friendship to make ourselves feel good and against some of this loneliness and isolation. And of course, of course, our well-being is important. But I want to say that we're wed to the well-being of others just as importantly And I think Jonathan gets this in how much he sacrificed to see the success of his mates. As Mike Pinabachi often says, the ultimate expression of love is not sex, but it's sacrifice. So much of our culture would say that just love is about sex and that's the main narrative, the main story, but really... The ultimate expression is sacrifice. It's a posture of what can I do for you rather than what can you do for me? So we think about friendships. It's like, how can I be a great friend rather than, you know, what can I get from, from this friendship? And we see this obviously most clearly and perfectly in Jesus' 1 John three sixteen says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Even when the disciples were denying and betraying him, he laid down his life. He sacrificed. Deep friendships include and must include sacrifice. And secondly, commitment. Friendships won't last without a deep commitment to one another. And I want to look at the example of Ruth and Naomi in the Old Testament, a, book, a small book called Ruth. And to set the scene, there's been this um, famine in Bethlehem. And so Naomi, along with her husband and two sons, moved to a place called Moab to kind of get away from the famine. And tragically, her, she loses her husband and both sons. And so she's obviously like a to, totally tragic situation. She's absolutely gutted. And one of her sons had married this lady called Ruth so where we jump in on this passage, uh, the famine is over and Naomi is kind of planning to go back to her homeland. She's lost basically everything and she's saying she wants to go back. And Ruth is saying that she's going to go with Naomi. So Naomi said, return home, my daughters, the, the daughters-in-law. Why would you come with me? And then it goes on to say, but Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people be my people and your God my God, where you die I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me be ever so severely if even death separates you with me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. This is an extraordinary statement of commitment from Ruth to Naomi. And I think it's an example for all of us of a friendship that's set up for the long haul. It's like, I will go with you. I will stay with you. I will even die with you, which sounds quite intense. But here, the kind of commitment levels that that Ruth has, they've both seen great pain. They've both lost loved ones. And in the midst of their darkest moments, Ruth is committed and I think with um, some of our friendships, like when, when we go through hard times, whether it's ourselves or others, the temptation again is to like isolate ourselves, to step away. And, and I know for sometimes I can then just like leave it maybe with people. But when people are going through a hard time, they need friends to step up. They need friends who are going to be there to say that you're seen, to say that you're missed, to say that you're loved. I heard this phrase, a friend is someone who knows the song in your heart and can sing it back to you when you've forgotten the words. It requires reaching out. It requires stepping out of our comfort zones. Honestly, there's been times where I almost haven't been bothered to reach out. Even if I know, I think maybe they'll want to be on their own for a bit. But actually, so many times we have to reach out. We have to step out of our comfort zones, be vulnerable ourselves. And friends do come and go. And that's natural in some ways, and that's the way it is in some ways. But there's, with that, there's this temptation, as I say, to stay surface level. There's a handful that I would suggest are in it for the long run, in it for the long haul. It's very deliberate and it's not easy. Because when, you know, when you know someone is committed, um, all else flows from that. You're going to be vulnerable. You're going to share truth. You're going to encourage healthy conflict. There's going to be confession. You know, you're know, you going to be known. But it all comes from this place of commitment and trust. We say even with the apprentices there, the, the, the friendship that they've shown. Um, when we had a bit of time with staff earlier in the week, one of the things that kept coming up was um, just encouragement, 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 and how it, how that kind of atmosphere helps us to be who we really are. And that level of encouragement, that level of showing each other who they really are, of singing the song back to them when they've forgotten, comes from a place of commitment. And it's so life-giving. I'm so thankful for a small group of friends that I have from um, growing up. But the relationships vary from like even all the way back to um, first school and secondary school. And and, uh, we all kind of live in different places of the country now. And so about 10 years ago, we just decided that every February half-term we'll try and kind of take the week, go away together and invest in that friendship. And there's something so, so beautiful about being sat Um, You know, like around the dinner table long after the food's finished, uh, where the conversation flows from laughter to tears to kind of both at the same time. And to be around people who've seen me at my best, but have seen me at my worst you know, mistakes I've made, terrible decisions I've made. They've seen all that. And the freedom that it is to sit with people where you don't have to put the, the masks on. I'm so used to putting on, so regularly put on. They, you just can't wear them with friends like that because they know you. They know who you are and they still love you. Proverbs 17 says that a friend loves at all times. And Proverbs 18 says that one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, in that time, obviously, family was like the thing. That was like the way that you were seen. And so for a friend to stick even closer than family is a huge statement. And I really think this is as relevant now as it was in the day that that was written. Cultural commentator David Brooks says this, and this really challenged me. We live in a culture of hyper-individualism. There is always a tension between self and society, between the individual and the group. Over the past 60 years, we have swung too far toward the self. The only way out is to rebalance, to build a culture that steers people towards relation, community and commitment. The things we most deeply yearn for, yet undermine with our hyper-individualistic ways of life. We deeply yearn for this stuff. And committed friendships just do not align with a culture of individualism. And thirdly, then, purpose. I think that friendships at their best help us live with purpose, pursuing holiness and pursuing God's kingdom. Because most friendships do tend to be built around something in common, right? That's usually how like a friendship might start up. Um, And C.S. Lewis says this, which I love. Friendship is born at the moment when one person says to another, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. And we have those kind of moments, don't we? Where, yeah, you realize, oh, they love that song too. Or, yeah, I was at that game too. And I just wanted to, just you know, in the spirit of vulnerability, these are some things that I'm really into in life. I mean, like really into. Apple crumble would be one. Yeah. Can I get an amen for apple crumble? Yeah. bonnie <laughs> Wick Wickham Wanderers. Yeah. Amen. Peaty whiskey, bit niche. 90s football kits, perhaps even more niche. A little bit. Ross. Coffee. <laughs> and movie montages and by movie montages i mean particularly in the 80s where you know there was like a whole scene where a period of time would happen just to one epic track it would be like the rocky workout or it'd be like someone working on all their deep emotional needs to get the girl or whatever and then by the end by the end of like a banging track they would basically sorted their lives out that's what i mean uh, but you know the ones by movie montages i'm really into them now if you're into any of these things, I, would, I can imagine we'd have a great conversation. And I can imagine we'd probably be friends, uh, which is brilliant. But Tim Keller suggests that the sweet spot is really when what he calls natural things, like things we're into, uh, overlap with the supernatural, which would be related to our Christian faith in this context. Overlap with a shared passion for Jesus. He says this, perhaps the richest and best relationships are those that combine both the natural and the supernatural elements. Friendship is a deep oneness that develops as two people speaking the truth in love to each other, journey together to the same horizon. Journey together to the same horizon. And for us, that would be the renewal of all things, right? It would be kingdom purpose, living fully alive together, pursuing justice, mission, creativity, courage, compassion, all of these things. And I know that to be true in my own life, that I need that. I need that purpose with friends. I think I might have shared this before, but when I was at university, going, I was in my final year at university, I'd basically just lost my way quite a bit, um, didn't have that many Christian mates or any Christian mates at uni, and was just, in a real low had had like a relationship breakdown had gone to study for a semester in America just to get away for a bit and I was just like really struggling to find purpose and worth and kind of and, and what where faith played in all of these things and there was just a one really clear moment um, I remember it was at Christmas holidays in my final year I was just in my room on my own just had this real profound sense of God's presence and this sense of like, if this is true, if this is true, then it's worth pursuing with everything I've got. And I remember just praying a really simple prayer at the time, which was basically like, Lord, I, don't, I need a mate, I need a Christian friend to journey with this last bit of uni. And literally, I think it was like three days later, I got a phone call from this guy that I played football with a couple of times. And he was randomly, just his parents were moving away. He was from the place where I was at uni and he needed somewhere to stay just short term. So I kind of said, oh yeah, you know, come come stay with us, which is probably pretty irresponsible um, looking back. But he did. He just moved in straight away. And we just built this friendship that really was built on kingdom purpose. And we were both, I think we were both at a stage where we were trying to work out like what faith looks like, live out in the everyday and all of these things. And we, it just had a really profound impact on my spiritual journey. We would just kind of try things out like Bible studies and singing together in our rooms. Um, I remember one time we thought we should try fasting because we'd never done it. We didn't really know what the deal was. So we just Started to just go three days, no food, just water, uh, first time, and it was I was actually all right because I was just at home, like with on the laptop doing the dissertation or on MySpace or whatever it was then, and uh, but he had a job at Pizza Hut at the time, <laughs> so he was like serving these pizzas all day and like ringing me in the breaks, like mate, I can't do this, but we were just on this kind of. Um, kingdom adventure i suppose and i really look back at that as like two friends going towards the same horizon it was absolutely life-saving for me at the time and i still value that so much and he read this quote from eugene peterson again um at my on my wedding day actually and um, i think it summarizes so much of what i'm trying to get across he says this every day i put love on the line there is nothing i'm less good at than love I'm far better in competition than in love. I'm far better at responding to my instincts and ambitions to get ahead and make my mark than I am at figuring out how to love one another. I'm schooled and trained in acquisitive skills, in getting my own way, and yet I decide every day to set aside what I can do best and attempt what I do very clumsily. Open myself to frustrations and failures of loving. Daring to believe that failing in love is better than succeeding in pride. And I just love that kind of statement uh, of, of how I want to live in, when it comes to friendships, daring to fail at love rather than succeeding in pride. And again, we see this most clearly in the life of Jesus and his disciples, right? When you talk about a kingdom purpose and a shared mission, like to. Pre- Claim good news to the poor, freedom for the captives, uh, sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. This was a shared mission that they were on. We see it in church history as well. I think when I think of this, I think of like the Clapham Sect, which was just a group of guys and girls, um, business people, lawyers, people in the arts, people in the church. There was a, a beer brewer in there as well, which I love, and they were like just on this mission and they 're most known for kind of taking on um, their endeavors to abolish slavery, but they also got involved with the treatment of animals, prison improvement, working conditions, and global missions. They challenged the social and moral culture around them in their friendships circles with that shared purpose and they became known to those around them as the saints which I think is just amazing I'm seeing something absolutely beautiful here at KXC as well people like coming together with shared giftings and shared passions to see how they might use that for the kingdom to see how they they might use that to to love and support the most vulnerable in this area and it's just so so encouraging and so good to see because friends can sharpen us inspire us encourage us and propel us into purpose. There's something so fulfilling to friendship. And I wonder sometimes if even in the church, we miss that a little bit. I think we can be quite good at like really promoting um, marriage. And we have things like marriage prep course, marriage course, things like that. And we sometimes miss the like key message of how fulfilling friendships are, whether you're single, whether you're married, whatever. We all need these friendships. We all belong to God. And as a result, we belong to our friends in this way. I'm a really big, I should have put this on the other slide actually, I'm a big West Wing fan as well. The West Wing is my absolute, I'm kind of nervous to ask who's seen it because I really don't want to be disappointed in lots of you. But just if you've you seen the West Wing, quite a few, okay, a few, few hands, few hands, if you haven't, it's my favourite show, I think it's absolutely amazing. But um, there's a guy called Toby Ziegler in this and he's kind of gathered all the staff together and he makes this speech and it's one of those like, yeah, moments. But I just love what he says. He says, we win together, we lose together, we celebrate and we mourn together. Defeats are softened and victory is sweeter because we did them together. What a beautiful picture of friendship that is. And so to finish, as I said, I know this is hard. I know we all have past experiences which might affect the way we think about this. It's those closest to us that so often hurt us the most, isn't it? But I just want to say it is worth putting ourselves out there. And it's that perspective, as I've said, not just wanting better friends, a fuller life, but that kind of question of like how can I be a better friend to others? And does anyone really know who I am? Am I seen? Some of you, will, when I'm talking about friendships, will have people that come to mind straight away, I'm sure. There'll be others, maybe not so much, maybe just move to church, just move to London. And it's like, I actually really do feel lonely. And just even practically want to say, like with the neighborhood nights, I do go along. There's some brilliant people to meet with hubs, with pattern, these things that we put in place, not just because it's the kind of thing churches do, but we really believe in it. We really believe that you can't actually follow Jesus alone. Far more than that, and the most important thing and hear this, we need to look to Jesus with this stuff. We need to look to Jesus. He's the ultimate example of all three of these things. He's the ultimate example of a friend. He sees your worth and your value more than anyone else will ever do. He sees it so much that he went to the cross for you when we know that and when our identity is truly in that and truly in his love, that's when we're free to do this stuff. That's when we're the kind of most alive and the most ourselves, when our identity is rooted in the fact that Jesus sees our worth, that we're set free from what he's done. And that is actually what distinguishes us. That is what we have, as we've said throughout the last series, that's the thing that we have to offer the world around us. So in a world quite literally dying in loneliness, would we model some of these things? Sacrifice and celebrating others. Commitment, being in it for the long haul, bearing others' burdens and purpose. Building after the kingdom of God together as friends.